Psalm 119 this evening, Genesis to Revelation. On Sunday evenings, currently in our journey, we're in Psalm 119. If you're with us this evening and you don't have a Bible, there are men coming up the aisles right now with Bibles. Just wave to them and they'll get a Bible into your hands. And then please, if you don't own a Bible, make that Bible a gift from the Lord to you this evening. We pick things up in verse 97. We just want to remember Psalm, what Psalm 19, 119 is, just for some that are maybe joining us for the first time this evening. It's a beautiful psalm expressing the psalmist's love for the Word of God. And, uh, but it is more than that. The psalmist declares throughout the psalms, all the, the psalm, all the different reasons why he loves the Word of God. And there's a person, uh, those of us as, as Christians, those of us, we love the Word of God. And as we go through the psalm and we see all of the reasons that he loved the Word of God, the reasons why, the way that the Word of God impacted his life and produced such a depth of appreciation in his heart, one of the exciting things about it is to say to ourselves, I recognize that. I feel that. That's what happens to me when I... That's what God's Word has done in my life. And it's fun to realize that the same Spirit that birthed this psalm in the psalmist 3,000 years ago is working in our lives as well and producing the same appreciation for the Word of God, though how many could sit down and write a psalm like this? The Holy Spirit did it through this man. But he's taken in that gift and in that calling, given, written something that really allows us to, to relate and to communicate in a way that we wish we could. Most of us don't have the ability, I count myself among them, to write something like this, this song of appreciation for the Word of God. And we've been taking the 22 sections of the psalm and uh, that correspond with the Hebrew alphabet, and just taking one point out of each of them in order to uh, just kind of stay focused a little bit, get through it, and uh, without, you know, looking at every single verse related to it, a focus of something in, in each one of the 22 sections of the psalm, something from that that uniquely speaks about what the Word of God does in our life. And I think maybe we'll look at just a little bit of a review before we continue tonight. He's, the Word of God, he's told us in the first section, it produces a blessed life. It's produced a blessed life on me, I'll tell you. I know it's true of you too. The Word of God produces a clean life. It cleanses us of impurity. <clears throat> the Word of God provides us with a friendly voice during times of human persecution. The Word of God strengthens us. It's a source of spiritual strength. We feel when we put something in our mouth where we're really hungry, you can just feel it radiate through our body physically, instantly. The Word of God has the same impact upon our spirit. The Word of God also keeps us free of covetousness by reminding us of eternity. Obedience to God's Word always brings liberty. How can law bring liberty? Oh, Boy, oh boy, does this world we live in need to know that there's liberty found in God's law. 
Man's liberty leads to bondage. (laughs) We see it all around us. God's law leads to freedom. God's word provides us with an incomparable hope and comfort in the midst of the afflictions of this world, a hope and a comfort that only God can speak into our hearts at times of great difficulty. The Word of God provides us with a standard by which we can test our friends and identify those who are worthy of being called a good friend in life. And then the Word of God also is the source of good judgment and knowledge. God provides us with the definitions of right and wrong, good and bad. And because we have those definitions from God and we're not making them up as we go along, our lives are spared a indescribable affliction that we would otherwise experience. The Word of God provides us with needed perspective, as we saw last week during God's chastening in our lives. The Word of God provides us with hope and comfort, perspective in the midst of persecution. And then the Word of God, as we saw finally last week, provides us with a Word that is settled in heaven. This Bible has been changing lives in the same way for thousands of years. No revisions, no this, no, oh, there's no, you never hear God go, oops, I thought that was right. But that chapter in my book is just making a mess of human lives. Never happens. Never happens. God doesn't regret a single thing that's in his book. All of it does something fabulous uh, in each of our, uh, each of our lives. And so it's a word that's settled in heaven because it doesn't need to be improved, because you don't improve on perfection. And then for our purposes tonight, we'll pick things up in 97. Oh, how I love your law. And then we'll look at this this evening. It is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers For your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts. I've restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I've not departed from your judgments, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I have an incurable sweet tooth. I'll tell you, I've... I have tested the boundaries of how many sweets a person can eat. One time I was much younger, in my 20s, Karen and I were living in Napa and we had bought a second house and I was fixing it up and building a fence one day and she decided to make chocolate chip cookies. She made six dozen of them. I ate them one after another in the course of the afternoon. Seventy-two cookies. I don't know how much milk went down with them. Get a few boards up, you know, and you need another cookie. So I'm not advocating it. I can't even remotely get near that today and don't want to. But I'll tell you, it's when I read something like this and I transfer it over to the Word of God and the sweetness that it brings to my spirit, I get where this guy's talking about. Take my word for it. Don't you do it. Just take my word for it. Though you're, through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. And here we learn that the Word of God provides us with a pure 
and a sweet place uh, to rest our wearied minds in this fallen world. It provides a pure, safe, sweet source for meditation in life. And you notice in verse 97, the psalmist, he again, he expresses his love for the Word of God. Verse 97. And then what evidence does he offer as proof of his love for God's Word? He declares, it is my meditation all the day. And he links meditating on God's Word to love in this verse. And I'll tell you, he's absolutely right in doing so. We meditate on who and what we love, at least in terms of what we meditate on voluntarily. And he meditated upon the Word of God, which is the great revelation of God, and he meditated on it all through the day, and it was an expression of his love for the Lord. There really is a relationship between those two things. Now you stop and think as a Christian of what would life be like for you if we did not have God's Word to meditate on in this fallen world. What if the Bible were taken away from us? What if its truth was taken away from us? What if it's law? What if it's prophecies? What if if it's poetry in the poetic sections of the book? What if all of it in all of its truth and all of its themes and all of its holiness, what if the Savior that's described in the book was taken away from us and all we had to set our minds on day in and day out, hour in and hour out, minute in and minute out, would be upon the vanity and vexation of this world. The news cycle. My own fallenness and my own failures. Sin, temptation, wickedness. What's put on the television, what's put on the movies, these things that are glorified. What if everything of the themes and the beauty and the substance of God's Word were taken away from us and all there was left was just the things that the world meditates on all day, every day that was left to us? What if that was our only option, no Bible to ever turn to? What if there was no place for our weary mind to rest in this world. No refuge, no place of safety, no safe harbor to bring our mind into. For the child of God, who like the psalmist has made the word of God, his or her meditation all the day, the thought of something like that is horrifying. They talk about kids that are ADD and ADHD and LSMFP. That's another thing. That was a... They've got all these initials on everything, and I'm not putting anything down if somebody's really been diagnosed that way and that kind of thing. But um, the mind is a pretty active thing. And I don't know what your mind is like. You know, sometimes people can sit down and they just... Hello, 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 hello. Come in, come in, come in. Come back. I look at that, and sometimes I envy that. If I'm awake, I am thinking. If I wake up for 30 seconds, I am thinking about something. 
always thinking. So I'm not saying I have any kind of a disorder or anything like that. But when you got a mind, I could though. <laughs> but when you've got a mind like God has given us minds where it just moves. It moves to the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. It's always thinking, always processing, always assessing, always, 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 always. If we did not have a place to dock this mind, a safe place in this world called the Word of God, I'd go crazy. Or my mind would be so given over to the darkness and the vileness and the hopelessness of this world, the saviorlessness of this world. Our minds, we're going to meditate on something. We're going to explore something. It's just the way the mind works. And you take the Word of God as a place to say, I can open this up and I can read this. I can make it my meditation now through the entire day. And then now our mind is kept safe as a result of it. What would we do if we did not have the single safe place that the Word of God is to dock this mind of ours? I don't know what I'd do. I don't know what we would do. And the psalmist felt the same way. The word meditate that he uses there means to talk to oneself, to talk with oneself. Sometimes when you're older, you get a little self-conscious about talking to yourself. You'll get over it. You reach a certain age, you'll talk to yourself anywhere about anything. Who cares? The coolest people in the whole world are old people. They don't care. The coolest dressers, the hippest people in the whole wide world, Bowlers. You talk about a secure group of people dressing like that out in public and not caring what anybody thinks. Everybody else thinks they're hip and cool and all, and they're being conformed by everything and everybody else. And so this whole thing of meditating, to talk with one, uh, one another, it's the idea of muttering to oneself. And it's the basis by which we process things in life. We think things through in life is through this thing called meditation. And all of us are meditating all day, every waking hour of the day. And it's never a matter of am I going to meditate today on things or am I not going to meditate on things. The fact of the matter is we're all meditating all of the time. And what we choose to set our minds upon is going to have a considerable effect upon our lives. And I think that it can almost single-handedly determine the quality of our lives, where we set our minds in terms of the source of our Meditation, because thoughts and thinking, ultimately they have a way of becoming attitudes and then becoming words and then becoming actions. And it all begins with our thoughts. It is impossible to overstate the importance of keeping our mind and our thoughts well-directed. And the Word of God accomplishes that in our lives. How wonderful it is to have our thoughts God-directed through the meditation upon His Word. God, I'm going to open up Your Word right now. Would You open it up to me? And then would You just set my mind to meditate upon this beautiful, flawless thing that You have given us called the Bible. 
There's no better way to occupy the human mind than for it to meditate upon the truths that are found in the Word of God. Think about how rich we are because of the Word of God. If the Word of God didn't do anything else, if it didn't accomplish anything else that the psalmist could bring out, but if all that it ever did was just provide our hearts and our minds with a safe place to dock them, a place from danger, a place of refuge from the fallenness of the world all around us, I'll tell you, we'd be rich beyond description. What kind of life results by making the Bible the single greatest source of influence in our life, of meditation in our life. That's worth thinking about. What is the single greatest influence in your life as a Christian? The Word of God is to be that in the hands of the Holy Spirit. So what happens when a Christian makes the Word of God the single greatest focus of their musing and of their meditation? Will it produce an ignorant, pathetic human being? It's kind of the world portrays a Christian with that kind of a commitment to God's truth. Will it produce a defiled mind? Never. Will it ever produce a nightmare? It will never produce a nightmare. Will it ever produce regret? It will never produce regret. Or guilt? Will it ever wound a heart? Will it ever wound a mind? Will it ever wound a soul? It will never do that. Notice what it does produce. And the writer wants us to notice this. Notice in verse 98. It produces us, it provides us rather with a wisdom that makes us wiser than our enemies. And in a world that has fallen like this, we need a wisdom that makes us wiser than our enemies. And the Word of God gives that to us. He tells us also in verse 99 that it provides us with understanding, an understanding of life that no purely secular teacher can ever provide because most of life, in fact, the most important things in life from God's perspective are complete mystery to the ungodly person. I would rather go to the simplest, most uneducated Christian in the whole wide world who is filled with the Holy Spirit and has a working knowledge of the Word of God for counsel and advice than the smartest man or woman in the whole wide world that does not know God and His Word. God is my witness I would value what came out of his or her mouth infinitely more than someone that's going to speak to me that hasn't even figured out that God exists all around them. Don't ever forget that. In terms of teachers and going to these places of public education or whatever kind of education and people that are brilliant perhaps in their own way, in their own particular area, but not to know God is a glaring blind spot. And... Not to know God and and to choose not to know God is to choose to be ignorant in the most important questions and issues in life. That's just the fact of the matter. So send me to the simplest, spirit-filled, Bible-knowing Christian in the world 
And I'll go to them for counsel over anybody else. You notice also in verse 100 that it provides us with a wisdom that's beyond our years. The wisdom of God, the ancient of days as God has described. That's pretty good wisdom. The Bible talks about the hoary head in the Lord. The person that's got white hair. Some people have white hair and they're hiding it. We don't hold it against them. But I do bring it up rather regularly, don't I? I must have a root of bitterness of some kind. But it talks about a hoary head and it's talking about the wisdom that is found there. Of course, assuming that that person, older person, is walking with the Lord and steeped in the things of the Lord. But think about being able to go to God himself, the ancient of days, for wisdom on any given situation in our life. And the Bible allows us to do that. You notice in verse 101, verse 101, that the Word of God keeps our feet from evil, the evil way in life. And the regret of the child of God is not that we're being denied evil as a result of obeying God's Word. Oh boy, I wish that I was out there. Sometimes I've heard in the past where somebody gives their testimony and they give such an um, amazing description of the life that they left and opposed to the life that they've been saved into. I can almost hear them smacking their lips. I said they're giving their testimony too early in their Christian life. The child of God that knows God well and, and knows the Word of God, our regret is never that we're missing something out there in the world because we're obeying the Word of God. Our only regret is that we didn't come to know Him earlier and come under His wisdom earlier in our lives. And then he tells us in verse 104 that the word causes us to hate every evil way. And then in verse 103, it brings a sweetness to our lives, unfailing sweetness, the word of God. And so we just praise the Lord that his word has provided us with. I can't tell you what that means to me, to take this dumb old thing up here, active as it is, such as it is, And I get to wash it and cleanse it and I get to dock it and harbor it in the Word of God and direct my thoughts toward the themes and the truths that God has provided in His Word. I tell you, I'd be cracked up by now if it weren't for that. You take the Bible out of human history, I am a casualty. Either destroying my own life or hurting other people. The Word of God. And that's why you watch the world fragmenting all around us. People don't know what they've done when they have pulled the Word of God away from people like me and maybe like some of you. But that's that's the dark side of all of it. Praise the Lord when an active mind or a busy mind is then directed toward the Word of God to then search out this beauty and what happens on the other side of the spectrum. Wow. So we praise the Lord for that. And then Psalm 105, uh, verse 105, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And I have sworn and confirmed that I will keep your righteous judgment. I have af- am afflicted very much. 
Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. Accept, I pray, the freewill offerings of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me your judgments. My life is continually in my hand, yet I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I have not strayed from your precepts. Your testimonies I have taken as a heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever to the very end. I want to notice verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. And so the word of God is likened to a torch or a lantern in the ancient world and it gives light uh, to a path. The world that we live in is a very, very dark place spiritually. And God knows that it's a dark place spiritually. And so what we're in need of is spiritual light in the world that we uh, live in. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Just as we need physical light to stay safe physically, we need spiritual light to be able to navigate spiritually the world that we are in the middle of. And the world that we live in is a very much a spiritual place. We live in the midst of a spiritual reality. We're conscious of the physical that's around us. We say, okay, this law works, that law works, you do this, you don't do that. If you violate this, then you're going to end up harmed and all. And there's all of these physical uh, laws, like gravity. You don't jump off of a building from the fifth floor. But there are laws that are spiritual, and the Bible is full of these spiritual laws. And when people violate those laws, there's a price that gets paid for doing that because it's to work against the way that God has created not only the physical world around us but the spiritual world around us. So as surely as there's this physical world, we can see with our eyes all around us there is a spiritual world that is just as real that God is conscious of that is all around us as, as well. And the Bible teaches that, the, that apart from God, the God of the Bible, apart from Jesus and the Word of God and the illumination that God's Word gives us related to all of this, the spiritual realm is a dark one to us. We don't understand what's going on. We can't see what's going on. And, and uh, all of the world being ruled by darkness and, and the moral darkness and the spiritual darkness... And, and heaven doesn't have any kind of debate about that fact. There's a spiritual realm that operates around us all the time and that it is a dark realm because of the fallenness of the universe, because of original sin, and, and that we're in the middle of all of that. I think all of us have an experience in life where uh, camping or whatever we might, uh, might have been the place where we've experienced maybe a darkness where you can't see your hand in front of your face and yet you've got to get from this place to this place, maybe in unfamiliar territory. I remember Karen and I, we were in India a number of years ago. We're the southern tip of India, a state called Kerala, and we were at the Gospel for Asia uh, seminary campus there, and a great storm had come in, and, and everything was just blacked out. No moon, no stars, no anything. And the storm had come in very, very quickly and caught us out in the open. So we were between 
the dormitory rooms and then where people ate, and there was a significant distance between the two, was completely unfamiliar to us, and it was so dark you couldn't even, I couldn't even see my feet, the flip-flops I was wearing. Now, if you knew how white my feet are, <laughs> as a Scot and an Irishman, you would realize that was significant. And we couldn't see anything. And so we didn't know if we moved forward, would we go off of some kind of ravine because it was very hilly, hilly territory. If we went left or right, would we get hurt? Would we be damaged in some way? And so we kind of inched our way along and all, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, here they came with flashlights. Click, and the light went on. Everything was illuminated. Now the path was clear on how to get from one place to the other. And that's the, that's the physical darkness. We've all experienced that. But spiritual darkness, it operates the same way. There's a spiritual realm that is around us that if we don't have the light of God's Word explaining to us how to navigate that, then we're going to walk off of a cliff. We're going to do damage to ourselves. You ever get up in the middle of the night? I mean, you've lived in the house for 30 years. You get up in the middle of the night to go somewhere or do something, and, and you trip over a piece of furniture that's been there all that time. <clears throat> or if you're visiting someplace or in a hotel or a motel or some friend's house or some, you know, and you don't, aren't familiar with it, and then you fall over something. That happens in the physical realm, but the same thing is true spiritually. Without the light of God's Word, we're just going to become casualties spiritually in this world. I'll give you an example of how some of this works. Somebody does something wrong to me, so I become angry, immediately angry over it. So I'm going to head out and I'm going to get revenge against them. And then as I... But before I do that, as I turn to God's Word, I ought to at least get my quiet time in right before I go slug somebody. So I'm reading the Word of God. I'm in Proverbs chapter 14. And there the Word of God says, He who is slow to wrath has great understanding, but he who is impulsive exalts folly. In other words, you're going to do something stupid under the influence of, of wrath. And then I read over in Proverbs chapter 19, A man of great wrath will suffer punishment, for if you deliver him, you'll have to do it again. In other words, don't do it. If you do it, you're going to end up going to jail. James wrote, and he said, For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And under the illumination of the Word of God related to the moral and the spiritual realm around us, now everything is lit up for me, and I back away from what it was that I was going to do. Why? Because the whole Word of God has given me a spiritual illumination in terms of what's safe or not safe to do in life. Now I'm seeing it clearly. Or I get offered a promotion that means more money for me. It's going to look good on my resume. This is a no-brainer. I need to say yes to this. Take that uh, promotion. The only problem is, is it's going to mean me bringing my children into a very ungodly environment to be raised in that I don't have a sense that God is calling me to bring them into, but the money is so good. And then you turn to the Bible and we're reminded of Lot who lifted up his eyes and he saw the plain of Jordan that it was well watered everywhere 
everywhere, made his decision on the basis of what was physically prosperous, and he ends up losing his wife, he loses his sons-in-law, he loses his reputation completely in Sodom. Sometimes we can only see something one-dimensionally. It's the Word of God that causes us to see something multidimensionally, see it from all of the angles so that we can be safe in our decision-making and safe in the spiritual and the moral realm that operates all around us. You think about the Word of God and how faithful it is to reveal what are the dangers of certain paths and what are the blessings of other paths, things that we'd be completely blind to apart from His Word. And light always means safety. It always speaks of safety and the accompanying peace that comes with it. And so the word, this world that we live in, the psalmist understood it. In his day, we understand it in the technology of our day. This world is no place to be living in without having the illumination, the light of God's Word upon our life, upon our situations, and find out what does the Bible say about this. And when the, we learn what the Bible says about this, somebody just turn the light on in the room and everything's clear. And the Word of God does that. Think about how many people are moral casualties, emotional casualties, uh, mental casualties in this world because they do not believe that a spiritual realm exists or if they believe that it exists... They don't believe that God's Word gives light in that realm. And they spend all their life running into one thing after another, after another, after falling off of this cliff and then running into that tree limb and then falling off over here and here and here. And by the time they get to a certain place in life, they're so beat up and so bloodied because they lack the illumination that comes from God's Word. And if that's you here tonight, all that can change for you in an instant by just giving your life to the Lord Jesus, coming into his family, and then giving the Word of God that place of revealing what you ought to do in life. Go left, go right, decision-making, explaining to us how to navigate the world spiritually as effectively as we, and as hard as we work to navigate it physically. And then we come to Psalm uh, to. Verse 113, I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. You are a hiding place in my shield. I hope in your word. Depart from me, you evildoers, for I will keep the commandments of my God. Uphold me according to your word that I may live, and do not let me be ashamed of my hope. Hold me up, and I shall be safe, and I shall observe your statutes continually. You reject all those who stray from your statutes, for their their deceit is falsehood. You will put away all the wicked of the earth like dross. Therefore, I love your testimonies. My flesh trembles for fear of you. And I am afraid of your judgment. Judgments, plural. And so the Word of God produces a healthy fear of God inside of us. And a fear of God that is substantial enough that it causes us to separate ourselves from people 
who are committed to what God has said he must one day in his righteousness judge and that he will judge. I fear the Lord. I fear him. Every day of my Christian life, I fear him. And in that whole issue where we talk about, you know, fear, it isn't a thing that I, I wake up and I just think if I make one mistake, you know, he's just going to squash me. It's not that kind of thing at all. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. He loves me. But to fear the Lord is to have this deep, deep, deep reverence for God and to determine that I will never, ever put him in a place where he is forced to choose between being good to me and obeying what he has declared he will do in the word because he will always be faithful to his word, and he always should be. So the fear of the Lord puts me in a place, as I said, where it, it, it puts me in that place where I fear to align with what I know God must in his holiness judge in this world and the people that he must ultimately judge. And judgment is coming upon this world. There's a, the, uh, in the, in the New Testament, there's a couple of different Greek words that are used for God's wrath and for his, his anger. There's a word thumos that describes, it describes a wrath that is explosive. We talk about somebody being quick-tempered, explosive wrath. Then there's a word called orge, which is a very settled, slow-building anger and wrath. And then when the day comes in which that wrath is expressed, it is even more fearsome because it's more determined and more deliberate than the, than the other form of wrath. And the Bible says that God watches this world. He beholds the world. He watches every human life. He knows everything that's going on. He sees all of the things that are happening, every room in every house, every apartment, every condominium, every everywhere, every building. He hears every word. He sees all of it. He beholds all of it. And while he does that, his anger or his wrath builds, and it's a righteous anger that will one day force him to step forward and judge the world because he would not be righteous unless he did not do that. What's one of the reasons you're saved tonight as a Christian? Because somebody warned you of the judgment that was due your sin and the judgment that God is going to bring upon this earth and even more sobering of the eternal judgment that he will mete out upon people for rejecting his son. Something that we would never know apart from the word of God. And the word of God gave us that revelation that he is a loving God, but he is also a holy God and a righteous God who will one day judge. And we realized, I do not want to be 
on the wrong side of that judgment? And how easy is it for us living today in the world that we're watching, especially if you're a little bit older and you see how fast the world is stampeding toward unrighteousness and we, and a person can even marvel that he hasn't judged the world yet? It just means more people are going to get saved. So you ought to get saved tonight if you're not saved. But that knowledge from the Word of God that judgment is coming, and I respect Him for that, and I fear that judgment. I don't want anything to do with it. And I've put my faith in Christ in order to experience an escape from that judgment. And the Word of God teaches us to separate ourselves from who and what is set aside for judgment so we do not share with them the judgment that they are due. And we praise the Lord for that revelation. It's very, very serious business what this world is becoming. And the, the willful ignorance of God and just this license, this sense of just freedom to do whatever it is that I want. There is no God. We can become animals, and we are becoming animals by the day. Even in the Western world, the United States, sometimes and worse as a result of it. And one of the great things that's lacking is a fear of God. You know what the cure for that is? Teach the Bible. People don't like to hear about the fear of God. There are certain subjects that you bring up and you start to talk about them. People will give you 30 seconds. All right, you got 30 seconds on that. If you don't get off of that, I'm leaving. Certain subjects that I bring up and I start to head into them and I know I'm going to spend a few minutes on it and I'm just ready for the five or so they're going to walk out on the thing. People don't like to hear about the fact that God is going to judge. He could not be holy and righteous and not judge the escalating sin that's happening in the world today. And he will judge it. And the Word of God warns us to escape that. And then he tells us in uh, verse 121, he said, I have done justice and righteousness. Do not leave me to my oppressors. For surety... Be surety for your servant for good. Do not let the proud oppress me. My eyes fail from seeking your salvation and your righteous word. Deal with your servant according to your mercy and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. And then for our purposes tonight, it is time for you to act, O Lord, for they have regarded your word, your law, as void, empty, nothing, useless. Therefore, I love your commandments more than gold, yes, than fine gold. Therefore, all your precepts concerning all things I consider to be right, and I hate every false way. The psalmist declares he loves the Word of God more than gold, even refined gold. And what he's declaring is that the Word of God makes a person rich in a way that money can never make a person rich. The world that we live in tends to um, uh, 
measure riches almost solely materially in terms of how much gold does a person have, how much money does a person have, what kind of car do they drive, what's their portfolio. We say, oh, they're very rich solely on the basis of money or these material things. And the Bible teaches us that riches can be measured in other ways too. And in fact, I think that to base riches on money alone is the poorest way of all to measure wealth. I'll give you an example. What good is wealth if you can afford the best food in the whole wide world, but you don't have the health to eat it and to digest it? What's more valuable, money or health? Health is. There are people in this world that would give their right arm to have your appetite and your digestive system. And it's incredible to think they would give anything to be able to enjoy a meal the way that you do. And yet you may not be able to rub two quarters together. What good is $10 million without any peace of mind, the kind of peace of mind that comes from God? What good is a $5 million home if there's no love in it? If I live in it all alone because... In my three score and ten years, I've driven off every significant relationship in my life because I am impossible to live with. Everybody looks and says, look at how rich he is. Look at the home that he lives in. He is not rich at all. He is not as rich as the house that somebody lives in, three bedrooms, two baths, a thousand square feet, and they got 18 kids. It's ma and pa kettle, but they love each other in that house. Some of you don't know who Mom Pa Kettle is. You Google that later. It's not worth learning. I'm just saying where you can find out about it. What good is a big inheritance if I don't have the character or the wisdom to keep from destroying myself with it once I receive it? There are a lot of things in life that money cannot buy, and the Bible teaches us that not all wealth in this world is is measured in dollars and cents. And Jesus made it very clear. He said, What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Are you saved tonight? Don't shout out. I know most of you are. If you are saved tonight and have God inside of you and the person of the Holy Spirit and you are on your way to heaven, you are richer than the richest human being in the whole wide world that does not know God. You say, oh, stop it. (laughs) Who said that? Jesus said that. What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And he loses his own soul. I think for those of us as lovers of the Word of God, we know something about this, don't we? If you were to come to me, anyone in the whole wide world, offer me all of the wealth and all of the power in the world under the one condition, Damien, I'm going to give this to you. You will be worth $300 billion, never have to worry about a single thing materially for the rest of your life, one condition. You never get to read this book one more time for the rest of your life. Never to be washed by it again. Never to be encouraged by it again. 
never to read my Savior's words in it again. And I tell you, as God is my witness, if someone were to offer me the whole world and that was the condition, I would say I would never do that. If for no other reason that I could not survive without what the Word of God does in my life. And why would people like you and I, without exception, turn down that kind of an offer except that we consider ourselves to be the richest people in the world, independent of material wealth, but based solely, if not any other way, based solely upon having this book on our laps and being able to turn to it and to commune with the true and the living God through His Word. I'll tell you, those, this is the thing that makes us rich in ways that can never, ever be measured in terms of dollars and cents. And I want you to notice before we close this section that there's a very strong relationship between verse 126 and verse 127. You see that therefore that begins verse 127. And he says, it is time for you to act, O Lord, for they have regarded your law as void. God, they've turned away from you. They're running from your word. They're violating your word in an ever-increasing measure. And then in that context, he said, therefore, I love your commandments more than gold, yes, than fine gold. Basically, the psalmist is saying that the worse the world gets under the wisdom of man, his rejection of God. We reject God's wisdom. We're always going to replace it with some other wisdom, infinitely inferior wisdom. So we reject God's wisdom. Now we're going to live under the wisdom of man. There are consequences to that. And the psalmist is saying, they've rejected your word. And then I watch what a human being becomes or a nation becomes or a whole world becomes as a result of rejecting your wisdom, as a result of esteeming God's law to be void. And he essentially declares that while the world is running in the other direction, all that it does to me related to the word of God is to cause me to esteem his word even more valuably than I esteemed it before. The insanity of the world makes me more thankful to obey the word of God than when the world's going crazy, like it's going crazy on us today, and it's running like lemmings off the end of a cliff, I mean, as fast as it can go, it doesn't have any appeal to us to follow them in that direction. But what it produces within us is a determination, a greater determination when we look and say, that is the kind of human being and world that that wisdom produces. I'm going to embrace the Word of God and obey it in an even greater measure. And we come to appreciate the Word of God in an even greater measure. How wonderful to watch the world all around us. And everything is teaching. 24 hours a day, the whole world is teaching us as Christians. And you know what it teaches us? It teaches us the veracity of the Word of God, the truthfulness of the Word of God, because it proves true in every human life. Those who obey it 
and those who disobey it. And it is fascinating to watch this whole thing that is going on before our eyes in the world today and watch all of the pressures and all of the broad diversity of, of life's experience to just come to bear and test the definitions of, of man's definitions of right and wrong and how to live and God's definitions of what really makes a person wealthy and then come to realize that we are living just as we live a simple life obedience to God's word, that we are being made fabulously wealthy, made rich in ways that all the money in the world cannot make us rich. And tonight I just say to the Lord in your presence and in agreement with your heart, praise the Lord for how rich he has made us through his word. Well, we'll stop there tonight and we'll ask the worship team to come forward. Lead us in just a little bit of worship before we close this evening. Some final touches on our Sunday of just being able to lift up our heart of praise to the Lord as these things are kind of working in our hearts. While they're coming up here, just allow me another moment to just sit here and, and just say thank you to the Lord with you. Not with a verbal prayer, but the prayer of our heart. Think about what God has done in your life through His Word. Think of the miracle that your life is because of his word. Isn't it wonderful to read these different points and to realize, yes, I have experienced that. Yes, that's been my portion. Yes, I never thought of it that way, but it's absolutely true. And the word of God, we read it, we study it, we grow in it, and we don't even realize until some moment of need what God has been building into our lives through his word and, and the quality of life that is ours because of his word. What a blessing to know his word and to study his word and to be fashioned and formed by his word the power of the Holy Spirit. I'll tell you, we are rich. Never take that Bible out of my hand until I'm gone out of this world. It is the thing that makes us rich in this life. The truths that are found in it, the realities that are ours because of it. Let's just give them praise and give them thanks tonight.